This is Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com and also healingsuicide.com. I'm an evolutionary astrologer and also an energy worker, a channel, and a psychic medium. And in general, I do a bunch of healing work. And at tdjacobs.com, you'll find energetically programmed crystals to help break up patterns and help you start new patterns that are healthy. Uh, and also, um, at this point, 16 books, uh, courses, uh, all kinds of things, um, lots of different MP3s. Uh, covering evolutionary astrology as well as channeled energy work mp3s uh, and also I want to put your attention on if you enjoy the style of astrology this evolutionary approach that's unique to what I do um, that you're gonna hear about in this mp3 and some other mp3s here on SoundCloud you can take evolutionary astrology classes with me you can also do one-on-one tutoring and also you can become a member of the soul's journey soundbite database which is a collection of almost 500 15 to 20 minute mp3 readings where I do overviews of people's journeys um, and uh, people are, are I have collected this and it's an online searchable data sheet so you can look up all of the sound bites you know all the files in the database that have Mars square Pluto to hear me explain it in a bunch of different ways and learn about that or what does it mean to have Pluto in the third house or what is Pluto and Virgo about, or the South Node in Aquarius, or Saturn Square the Nodes. You can look up any of these things and more. Uh, so I'm encouraging people to uh, explore that as a learning tool. Uh, okay, great. So uh, this is Colin Kaepernick. Um, he is the former uh, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers here in the U.S., uh, the whatever National Football League, NFL. And he's the person who first started kneeling in the summer of 2016 during the U.S. National Anthem at the preseason games. Of course, it's become this huge thing over the last couple of years, and everybody has an opinion. And the symbol of the National Anthem uh, is, been, is used by different people for different things. And there's this nationalist thing that... He just he walked right into, but he doesn't. He's not a victim. He's actually doing this protest about um, protesting police shootings of African American people, mostly men. Um, okay, so anyway, so he's got this protest thing. I'm going to look at his chart from a karmic angle, and then also some personality things, and look at it. And um, let's let me just give you his birth data. Um, this has been on my list to do forever, and uh, since April I've been in temporary housing, kind of moving around a little bit, and I haven't been doing a bunch of audio um, things for different reasons since then, and probably a few months before that I was a little more quiet. But anyway, I'm just sitting here and uh, thinking about it, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, take care of it. So his birth date, his birth date is November 3rd, 1987 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, we don't have a birth time for him, so we're not going to talk about any houses here in this chart. Now, some people will make up a chart for 6 a.m. or 12 p.m. saying, oh, there's no birth time, so don't pay attention to the houses. I strongly recommend you get in the habit of drawing up a chart on astro.com that has no houses. So it's just, you know, it's not divided in the middle at all. It, the Aries point, zero Aries, is always on the left where the ascendant would be, but there's no ascendant, there's no midheaven. I just encourage you to get in the habit of that so your brain doesn't get stuck or, or used to seeing things in houses when they're not there. Now, that could just be my you know, useful tool for me because I'm so accustomed to looking at a chart 
and kind of absorbing it very quickly. So if it has houses and it shouldn't have houses, I'm like, that's annoying. So anyway, but, but I encourage you to just not do it with the houses. If you choose unknown birth time when you're making a chart on astro.com, it will show up this way. So personality-wise, he's a Scorpio, right? Sudden Scorpio, dot, 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 conjunct Pluto. So there's a story in there. Uh, he's an Aries moon. Um, so there's a story there, and it's conjunct Jupiter and also Eris. We're going to talk about that. Moon is opposite Mars. Uh, Mars and Libra. Moon and Aries. Uh, and Mars is opposite the Jupiter, too. So, um, yeah, and then he's got South Node in Libra. So anyway, so we've got, and then the South Node ruler in Scorpio. So I want to cover all these different things, including some squares to the nodes he has, which tell part of the story. Um, so first, let's talk about Pluto. And in the style of analysis that I do, I always start with Pluto. And my take on Pluto, my evolutionary approach, is unique among uh, all other evolutionary astrologers. Because what I've, uh, I did study with Steve Forrest a long time, um, and I've been exposed to Jeff Green's material. But what I'm doing is a unique third stream, because I've learned a tremendous amount from channeling an ascended master about what soul is, and also working as a medium with the spirits of dead people, to find out how they understood their human life and then what they learned after they passed away and crossed over into the light, so to speak. So the way I do astrology is changed because my vision of soul and the model of soul I use is different. And so the way I do the astrology is different. So anyway, Pluto in my approach represents the empowerment journey that the soul sets out for its humans in many lifetimes. And so the soul is outside time. It can't be wounded. It doesn't need healing. Uh, when people say the soul was wounded, uh, in my experience and my understanding, they, they're referring to the subtle bodies, like the emotional body, that carries the emotional imprints of many lifetimes and is, and is tapped into your unconscious in every lifetime. So the soul can't be wounded. So Pluto, for me, is not the wound. It is what hurts, but it's the empowerment journey of the soul for its human selves. And the empowerment journey necessarily involves feeling empowered at times, feeling strong and confident at times, and at other times, feeling less than strong and confident. At other times, feeling like we have power and then losing power. So it's about ups and downs, and it represents what hurts the most and also what we need to do fundamentally to, to make life feel meaningful. So it's Pluto's in Scorpio, and this is about honesty. And it's about calling a spade a spade. One of the worst things for people with Pluto and Scorpio is to lie and or be lied to, or to have subtext where there's something under the surface that can really bug you and bother you, like a pee under the pile of mattresses, a burr under the saddle, um, not be named because they're sensing something. Remember, Pluto is this planet of psychology and the sign of Scorpio, which is digging in the trenches, uh, energetically, spiritually, sexually, emotionally digging. And so I'm um, trying to penetrate to the core of something. So Pluto in Scorpio says that his soul's mission involves being honest, but going through some really difficult experiences to get there. Transforming in the face of some intense emotion, grief, anger, something like that. Um, one of the best friends of people with Pluto and Scorpio, and those dates are, if I remember correctly, let's say late 1983 
up until like January of 1995. It was November or December of 83 up until, could be January of 83, anyway, or 84. But anyway, it's that group of people, about 11 years worth of births. And uh, the subgeneration has to confront things that are really hard. But it's also the Pluto and Scorpio empowerment journey involves facing what you perceive as negative or evil, bad, or monstrous within you. So deep, still waters run deep, and that running deep involves processing a bunch of deep stuff. So he's, oh, one of the best friends for this subgeneration, I forgot what I was saying, is knowing that anger is a response to pain. So I get that Kaepernick gets this intimately because he's not, it hurts him. He's not screaming. He's posting on social media at that time. He's making comments. He's posting videos and he, you know, he's active that way, but he's not screaming his head off, shaking his fist in the air, losing it. He's feeling what's going on in his community and in our society. And so he decides to do this protest. Now, Pluto conjunct Sun says this journey of digging, digging and getting to the truth and, and expressing the truth uh, involves Sun, which is about expression, having an opinion. So if he, some people with a strong Scorpio energy are kind of uh, quiet because, again, still waters run deep. But some of them do make a statement with Pluto and Scorpio conjunct the Sun, he's going to be seen for his opinions. He's going to be well-known. And his opinions and his self-expression, including protest, um, can be a source of disempowerment. Like he uh, became a free agent. I don't know everything about his story, but he became a free agent, I guess, after that season or toward the end of it. And uh, I think nobody signed him. So people don't want the controversy because now he's kind of labeled as a troublemaker because of how other people use the national anthem in a twisted way. Look up the history of the national anthem being played at sporting events. <laughs> That'll explain to you why I'm do some of why I'm doing this. I don't want to go fully into it, but go listen to um, I don't know. I guess it's a backstory uh, from the University of Virginia Humanities Department. It's a podcast on history called Backstory. Go look up a history of American sports or something like that, or the history of the national anthem, and you will find a very interesting story about how it even got started and why it didn't take right away. Okay. So anyway, the people, uh, the kind of like nationalist, you know, ethno-nationalist people here uh, who in the U.S. who are, who would cling to such a symbol, including the, including the president, who is a white nationalist, um, uh, who is a, you know, tried and true deep in the bones, racist, you know, ignorant person who doesn't consider that people are people, right? It's all about money and numbers and, and what he perceives as power, even as he's the most insecure person on the planet. Um, anyway, they would see him as a threat because Sun Pluto people have a certain power that can intimidate those who fear they don't have power or who realize that they don't have a confidence. 
So Sun Pluto people can be very intimidating sometimes. If they're doing it right, if they're aligned with their passions, and if they're not blaming everybody else, right, then they can have quite an impact on other people. If they master their own fears is one thing I want to say here. Like if they transform and they are aligned with what's true for them, they can be a force to be reckoned with. Um, so that's the, the kind of Pluto story. I don't, I don't see, um, there is actually a hard aspect here. I, I typically want to do these, um, these analyses. I stick with conjunctions, squares, oppositions, and quincunxes. And we do have the um, square to Vesta in Leo. Squares to Pluto say that the person in a bunch of lifetimes along this empowerment path will find friction and pressure from uh, people who embody this energy. And it's about learning, but it can be just, it seems like friction and criticism. Well, here I have Vesta and Leo, somebody who is devoted, or people who are devoted to their own egoic supremacy or being the center of attention. So this is a classic power struggle. Any planet in Leo, square, Pluto, and Scorpio is a classic power struggle. And as it turns out, uh, you might you know, lose worldly power when you're arguing with the king or the president, you might lose worldly power, but this journey with Pluto's conjunct sun and in Scorpio is about integrity. So Copernic, Kaepernick is, I always say his name, I, recently I started saying Kaepernick, but I used to say Copernic. I, I think just because Copernicus, part of my brain wants to do that, so forgive me if I go back and forth. Uh, but I think Kaepernick gets this. To stay true to yourself is the most important thing, and that's probably why a lot of why this whole thing has come about as part of his deep Pluto uh, learning. So um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but let's talk about Libra South Node, where the South Node represents um, what kinds of conditioning environments you might be born into and raised uh, by or raised in in many lifetimes. And, and Kaepernick uh, had, was adopted as a baby. Um, and so there's no accident there. We can know that there's a Libra theme going on with his birth family, as well as the family he was adopted into. We know we can know as a fact because uh, adoptions represent soul level agreements and contracts, just like any other any other birth and raising situation. So if you're somebody who has experienced adoption or has given up a child or something, you know, understand that it is all, or, or taken in an, a, a child and adopted that, that, that young one, uh, it's all according to the soul's, uh, collective soul's plan together. The agreements. Uh, just briefly, one, one reason that it can happen. To, well, I'll give you two, two reasons. One is the souls are talking in the cafeteria in heaven over their Caesar salads, <laughs> whatever they eat, they don't eat. I'm just making that up. I just like the idea of an informal cafeteria where everyone's talking and walking around and whatever. Um, you know, like between school, between classes, between incarnations. And they're agreeing on what they're going to teach each other and who's going to be in what generation when they're a family together. And it can be, one, one scenario is, I really need, the soul says, look, I really need the gen genetic profile from this family line over here, but I kind of need your conditioning. Can I kind of be transplanted and get like those people's features and DNA, but you'll raise me? And these agreements are made. And and another layer of that, another reason for adoption, can actually I'm going to give you several, can be, um, it's a really fascinating topic, can be um, learning what love is. 
where it comes from, who's responsible for giving it to whom. We know there are people who have kids who just can't take care of them, and this is a huge reason why adoption occurs, right? Um, you know, of course it is. So sometimes that the parent giving up the child is learning about love and, and responsibility. It doesn't mean I don't love this child if I can't raise him or her, if I have to give this baby away. No, of course. Well, let me be... Anyway, so there's that struggle there. And then as far as the kid goes, wait, the people who had me, do they not love me because they didn't? They couldn't raise me? Like Why couldn't they? All the questions come in about what love is and who's responsible for giving it to whom. But then you have this family who takes in a child and, you know, loves the kid. So what, what is love? You know, do you have, are you supported only if your birth parents raise you? Anyway, these questions about how to become more loving are central to adoption. And then the last scenario I'll tell you is um, that there can be these agreements within soul groups, these family soul groups, where in some lifetimes we can't take care of, we can't feed all our kids and so somehow our three kids go, you know, let's say we have 10 kids and three of them we can't we can't feed, we can't support. Let's say that three of them go two towns over and this other family puts them to work on a farm and houses them and takes them in. Maybe it's not an official adoption, but there's like a trading thing going on. Well, maybe in some other life, it's reciprocated in the form of what we call adoption, which is a different scenario, but it's a way of keeping family systems connected and the souls learning from each other as humans. This can be in terms of different skin colors and, and enculturation. This can be in terms of different, you know, language, um, uh, like ethnicities and language groups in different parts of the world. Anyway, there's this whole thing about the collusion between these souls where they're learning from each other as humans. And sometimes, you know, I don't speak your language, but you now have to raise me, <laughs> you know, like, or I look very different from you. We're all learning what love is and where it comes from. Anyway, these are some of the bases, bases uh, for adoption from the soul's perspective. So anyway, Libra South Node, um, both of those families, the one that birthed him and also, uh, you know, the, the parent or the family that birthed him, but also the family he's adopted into has a Libra emphasis. So uh, f what is fair? What is equal? Uh, how do we create harmony together? How do we create balance? Um, but also Libra South Node says, let's try to be nice or good, <laughs> or at least socially appropriate. Um, sometimes it's kind, kindness is emphasized and gentle, gentleness, but a lot of times there's an emphasis on um, deferring to the needs of other people, being there for others. And sometimes as part of that, learning who we are based in what we do for others. A lot of times people with Libra South nodes are told they should be polite or are taught don't make waves. So A, Kaepernick has Pluto and Sun and Scorpio. He's going to make waves, one way or another. B, South node ruler says he's told in many lifetimes, don't make so many waves. Chill out and relax a little bit. Um, do what's appropriate. Be nice. You know, be an upstanding person. Be there for people. That's a that's a part of his conditioning in many lifetimes. Now, square the nodes, which means there's an unresolved issue in family systems and in his lifetimes over many lifetimes. An unresolved issue. Let's say he knows four or five out of the seven, eight, or ten things that 
to be happy and healthy, you would need to know. So square the nodes is Uranus and Sagittarius. Uranus is the planet of, you know, giving the man the finger. Protest. Revolution, right? Square the nodes. So in some lifetimes, he may get himself in trouble by being very outspoken. It's in Sagittarius. And in other lifetimes, he may get himself in trouble by not speaking up. So he's trying to find the middle ground. What does protest mean in Sagittarius? What do I believe? Why? What is worth rebelling over? Uranus square the nodes in Sagittarius. What, what, you know, what belief, what, what idea is true enough? So let's say it that way. What's true enough that's worth rebelling over? So again, we have the Pluto sun in Scorpio. There's a depth, and he's in touch with really intense things. And then he's got this Uranus square the nodes. What's really worth fighting for, protesting for? Um, also, he has Neptune and Capricorn and Ceres and Capricorn square the nodes. Um, both are out of or out of the eight degrees of orb I would use for conjunction to Uranus. But Neptune square the nodes says, I'm looking for what's true. And Ceres square the nodes says, who's going to protect me and what is parenting? What is mothering about? What is mentoring about? So one of the signatures... Well, one of the kinds of um, dynamics in a chart that may at times indicate adoption can be moon or series in aspect to the nodes, sometimes to Pluto, more often to the nodes, I think, because the learning is, again, what love is, who's going to protect you, that kind of stuff. Where does nurturing come from? So uh, there's an unresolved issue about the truth of parenting, of motherhood, of, of um, where safety and support come from. Okay, um, so unresolved issue. The other one is Chiron in Gemini. Um, so that's that's an unresolved issue about woundedness and healing. And, um, I, you know, I would bet if we had a birth time for him, I think the house of that Chiron would tell us more. Like, I would figure it to be in the 12th and the 11th and the 10th and the 9th. Because um, Chiron in the ninth house can be like um, sensitive to the philosophy out there. Chiron in the tenth can be sensitive to what it takes to be ambitious or um, to be a public figure and being, you know, having a sensitivity and vulnerability about that. In the eleventh house, it would be about society and how the group mind. Um, functions. Twelfth house, it would be about the wound and the collective being sensitive to it. So I don't know what what um, rising sign he has, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of those collective houses, so to speak, nine through twelve. Um, anyway, so square the nodes. Chiron is. I'm not quite sure how to deal with pain and suffering, the wounding of other people too. Now, a lot of people born between 1951 and 1991 have Uranus opposite Chiron. Not everybody, but a lot, the majority of people do. Um, and so Uranus is the need to individuate and to break free from what constricts you, but Chiron is a fear of rejection. So some people who have born in that time period over those 40 years have a big thing about, and you'll see it over and over again in all, almost all of those charts, so many charts during that time, you know, people born during those 40 years. And you'll, you'll see that when they need to break free, 
they might fear the repercussions. They might fear that they're going to be rejected. Or they might do something bold, like Uranus, you know, protest or freedom or individuality, individuation. But they might then notice how it affects other people and realize, wait a minute, what I did hurts people. I don't want to do that. So it's possible that a bunch of over a bunch of lifetimes, he doesn't protest. It's possible. But now he just can't not. It's 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 possible. Um, when things are square the nodes, you can sometimes trip over your shoelaces or kind of get yourself into trouble because you keep relying on habit and that might get you in trouble. Like it might not be the full story. You might respond with um, this habituated knee-jerk reaction instead of a well-considered, grounded, thoughtful response. So like I say, in some lifetimes he might not do it. In some other lifetimes he might protest everything. So squares to the nodes say, I'm over and under doing this, pendulum swinging my way through the Earth timeline as my soul tries to figure out the right way to do this. So his soul is saying, what is it like if I'm gung-ho about my beliefs and I protest? Well, what's it, what's it like if I hold back? What's it like if I, get, if I risk it and get into trouble for doing it, but I, but I finally feel free? Or what's it like if I don't do it and then I feel stifled and like my life is meaningless because I'm not telling the truth? You know, exploring extremes, trying to find a middle ground. So anyway, I just want to point out that in some lifetimes, he might be doing exactly this and getting into trouble. Or, or becoming a hero, or not doing it, and not liking himself, and feeling like a, a pressure cooker, you know, like a boiler is happening, because he's not saying what's true for him, or acting on it. It could go either way. It's over the course of many lifetimes, it's all different possibilities. What we see in Kaepernick's life is just one thing right now, you know, one thing during this lifetime. Okay, um... I want to talk a little about the South Node Ruler, which is the third step of the story. Remember, Pluto is the first step. What does this person have to do to make life feel meaningful, but is wrapped up with the disempowerment memories from many lifetimes? So what the person has to do, but probably brings up a lot of guilt or shame or fear, anger, grief, resentment, bitterness, depressiveness, bore, you know, uh, meaninglessness, hopelessness, existential crisis, whatever. Step two, south node of the moon, uh, what is this person in many lifetimes, how is this person trained to see the world? What does he assume the world is like or, or should be like? So again, he, he's, he sees the world in terms of the need for justice, fairness, Libra. Um, third step of the story, this uh, next step, is how he shows up in many lifetimes, his unique role that may be separate from the second step, the south node conditioning of family and community training. So his south nodes in the last degree of Scorpio, conjunct Lucifer and Eros. So this is a big deal because I want you to think for a moment about signs adjacent to each other. Uh, Libra is, you know, kind of external a little bit, right? We say it's masculine in astrology. It's active, it's cardinal, it's outgoing, trying to connect people together, build bridges. Well, it's, you know, uh, cardinal air. Scorpio is fixed water, so it's more internalized. Water is emotion-based. As I said, still waters run deep for Scorpio. 
So he's coming from people who say, be nice, create fairness in the world, be good, treat people fairly, and you'll be treated fairly too. <laughs> All right. And then he shows up with a South Node ruler in Scorpio. So he can see a deeper level of truth. And he might actually have had to hold his tongue out of respect for his elders, so to speak. Literally, you know, he might have had to keep his mouth shut and not tell the truth all the time or figure out a way to be polite about it. Because when you're trained to be to live in a Libran world, but you have Sun, Pluto, and South Node Ruler in Scorpio, you're gonna, you might be, seem abrasive to people. Not everybody wants to have their status quo and their happy day and their picnic disturbed because you're talking about what you're feeling. And it's not pleasant. Like, they don't want to deal with that. So anyway, he shows up as a Scorpio figure who's told he's supposed to be a Libra figure. Just consider that adjacent thing. Same thing with Virgo Libra. You know, if he were told uh, the world is supposed to be about Virgo, any, any two signs next to each other, do you can do this exercise with. It's a good thing to learn to learn through. And even if you're a practicing astrologer, just sit down and think about that. You know, what's it like if I'm in a Virgo world, but I'm a Libra person? What's it like if I'm in a Virgo world, but I'm a Leo person? Like if the South Node's in Virgo and the South Node ruler's in Leo. You know, I'm told to be specific and duty-bound, and I need to play and sing my song and tap dance my experience of going to the grocery store. My, my narrative, my dear diary narrative, I have to do this, you know. So so you can just think about that. But anyway, he's in a, he's told the world is the Libra place and he's a Scorpio person. So he's got to tell the truth. And Lucifer, asteroid Lucifer, which is 1930, number 1930, if you look it up. Uh, forget the Christian mythology of the devil and Satan and understand that this is about uh, bringing light if you overcome doubt that you're selfish and arrogant, you can bring light. And the process is aligning your mind, an egoic part of you, with your heart and your spirit or what feels true to you, which is based, you know, in a higher principle. Uh, and that, you know, I, I'm recommending, um, if you haven't checked it out, the I think it's about 70 minutes long. It's a webinar presentation. It's a video on YouTube. Just look up Tom Jacobs' Lucifer webinar on YouTube, and you'll find this over an hour-long presentation where I go deeply into this mythology and archetype and stuff. And so anyway, I recommend you you go there to get the full story because I uh, there's there's some other teachings on Lucifer and astrology, especially in evolutionary astrology out there, um, you know, that include references to evil. And I don't perceive that that is a real thing uh, that we contain all the energies within us. And so anyway, I'm trying to get this uh, Lucifer teaching out there. Uh, and then also Eros, which is about creative passion and also sexual passion. It's about the fire that lights you up with Venus. So Venus, Lucifer, Eros, and Scorpio, he's got to say what he, what he knows is true. And he's passionately motivated to be of service. Lucifer is about ultimately about being of service once you learn to surrender your ego to something true to you. This, this could be, you know, Sun Conjunct Pluto, in Scorpio, and then Venus conjunct Lucifer in Scorpio could be somebody whose head is just so big nobody can stand to be around him. You know, this could be somebody who is so egotistical that he's obnoxious and unbearable. Some Pluto people, if they fear they're not getting enough attention, they might try to dominate others, including using, you know, Scorpio, some backhanded methods of manipulation or 
gossip or coercion or things like that. Uh, trying to hurt people to like make them subservient to you. Like this is the worst of Scorpio. I'm not saying every Scorpio does this, but but you know the, this kind of energy in here. And what I want to point out to you is he has been learning over the course of many lifetimes the ins and outs of ego. In some lifetimes, he's probably an absolute egotistical jerk without South Node ruler conjunct Lucifer. But he's learning about how to align ego with something bigger than he is. He doesn't want attention for this, by the way. Like, he's doing it as a statement, to, and he knows that with his fame he would bring attention to it. But he's not, again, out on the street trying to gather news media to him, shaking his, uh, screaming and waving his arms in the air and being, a, and being a loud lunatic. He's not doing that. It was a silent protest before these games. Okay, anyway. Um, now, Venus, the Southland ruler, is Quincunx Chiron, which I talked about being square the nodes in step two a few minutes ago. So Quincunx is, to the Southland ruler, say, I don't know how to be in the same room with this energy. It can be that one is caught off guard by people who embody this. And this is Chiron, the wounds. That's why I kind of wonder if the Chiron is in one of these social houses, 9, 10, 11, or 12, because he would feel the collective's pain regarding this stuff. Um... Okay, so he might be thrown off guard by people's wounding. He might be deeply affected, and, in, and he's you know, living through the lens of Scorpio with the South Node ruler there in step three. So he's going to feel things extremely deeply. And again, some people with Scorpio emphases don't always know how to process deep pain. I mean, he's got plenty of practice, you know, but sometimes things are really hard to take. And that constantly reiterated wounding of another African-American person being shot by police, turns out he's not armed or he was running away or he wasn't reaching for a gun or his hands were in the air or whatever. Like, like that repeated wounding is going to affect Kaepernick extremely deeply. And like I said, in some lifetimes he may not protest or he might do it too much. So he's trying to find a way to express protest so he can say this pain is a problem. This is real, right? His job with Southland Ruler and Scorpio and Sun Conjunct Pluto is to tell the truth, to call a spade a spade, to make subtext text again, you know, to bring it to the surface. That's his job. Okay, um, then I want to talk about um, this Moon Eris Jupiter thing in Aries opposing the Mars and Libra. Now, this is not wrapped up in the karmic story, meaning this, these bodies are not aspecting Pluto the South Node, or the South Node Ruler, um, but I want to uh, talk about it so you can understand more personality-wise what's going on with him. Moon and Aries, um, and it doesn't matter when during the day, when on November 3rd, 1987, he was born, it will definitely be in Aries. Um, it could be, you know, six, six and a half degrees one side or the other, you know, one way or the other. But, um, Right, so so if you were born at like 12.02 a.m., the moon would not be conjunct Jupiter. Uh, if he were born, you know, at like 11.59 p.m., I guess it would just be widely conjunct Eris. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I guess the, the moon is conjunct Jupiter during this latter part of the day, if he's like born 9 or 10 a.m. or later. So, um, okay, so moon in Aries is, a, is somebody who needs to fight, somebody who is going to, 
have you know some passionate reactions to things, fiery reactions, defensive rescuing reactions. And if it is conjunct Jupiter, that kind of amplifies it because Jupiter makes everything big. Now, um, Eris is about um, pushing people's buttons. And that does have something to do with this whole protest bit. People's insecurities are the buttons that get pushed when we do Eris stories. Um, the idea here is that if he acts like a warrior, or he takes a stand, takes an Aries stand, then he will ruffle people's feathers. In this case, we have, uh, you know, inadvertently pointing out their insecurities, say it that way. So he does this protest, and he says, it is to protest this injustice. This is not a quote, but that's what he's saying. Now, the, the people who are these ethno-white nationalists who are clinging to the eagle, the flag, Trump's ev Trump even hugs the fucking flag at some rallies and meetings. Come on, he hugs it. These people with their fantasy about what America is, because Kaepernick doesn't fit in their fantasy of America, right, their mythology. But those people cling to the symbols, the anthem, the flag, the eagle, um, as trying to, how to say this, I haven't ever tried to articulate this. They cling to this, these symbols as trying to, or as in, in an attempt to give themselves something to hold on to so their belief can be kind of cohered around a shared thing, therefore it's real. But the insecurity is that they're not, these white ethno-nationalist people are soon not the majority in this country. They have to face the fact that this country has always been a melting pot. It continues to be so. But their insecurity is that somebody would disrespect the flag. This is the same with the Confederate monuments in the South where they have a mythology, a story that is nonsense. You know, they're saying this is our heritage. Well, these were put up generations at, most of them were put up generations after the Civil War was over, and they're basically monuments to Jim Crow intimidation. But they, they're rewriting the story. They're clinging to them as a symbol of this. Okay, so, you know, my, my position on all this is God bless everybody, but if you're invested in your mythology, your tribal mythology, over your humane, your ability to humanely approach other people, then you're doing it wrong. Then you're in a phase of human evolution. I mean, God bless everybody, you're not doing it. I think you're not done evolving. So I, from my high horse, <laughs> no, I just, it, it, you know, being tribal is a, is a stop on the way to understanding and connecting that, that we are all one that we are all connected, that we're all in this together, that the human species is one species with different genetic variables that make us look different, with different, you know, cult cultures, different languages and different, you know, experiences. But anyway, so I just, I just strongly, I hold space and I am often compassionate toward people who are holding on to these mythologies, but it's a way station on the way toward evolution. 
So the more you cling to your tribal mythology, uh, and you know, and I have this with um, I yeah, here's my heiress coming out pushing buttons. I you know I was raised in a Jew in a reformed Jewish family, and uh, my mom's family is Jewish, my dad's family is not, but like I was raised in that kind of tradition, and when I was pretty young, I started to become aware of some of the things that Israel did that were not cool, that were not kosher. And um, even today you'll find people, Jews who are very critical of Israel's politics and international relations record and this whole thing about settlements in the Palestinian territories you know, and, and other Jews just kind of are like waving this flag of Israel can do no wrong. So anyway, let's be critical. Let's look at things. Let's ask questions. Let's talk to each other. Let's seek to overcome our, be, you know, being stuck within a mythology that limits us from seeing other humans as humans. Okay, we're, we're all the same. Where was I? Oh my God. Okay, Eris, pushing people's buttons. The national anthem as a symbol of national pride. Well, it's related, you know, it's like, oh, just, oh my God, sorry. You, now I'm pent up. I've had months of not doing these MP3s, so I haven't been able to pontificate and lecture and shout and scream and stand on my soapboxes and do all this shit. So let's just do this now. This last week, uh, U.S. Attorney General... Um, uh, Sessions, Jeff Sessions. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, late night TV comedy things, and some of them also add a descriptor that makes fun of their appearance. And so I was trying to stop myself from doing that. Um, like they would say, Jeff, you know, Jeff Sessions, U.S. Attorney General, and Keebler Elf, who escaped the tree. They'd say stuff like that. So anyway, so Jeff Sessions, you know, announces that he's leading this task force, this new task force for religious liberty. We know that that's a code word for uh, protecting, you know, this perception that there's a war on Christians in Christmas. It's not about protecting all people. It's this thing about this this mythology of, you know, we have to defend our power because we can't let these other people make us insignificant. We've been in charge for so long. Again, the mythology that doesn't include other humans who are in America as deserving of being here if they're not white. That's what's going on here. So anyway, Eris is pushing these buttons and um, conflict can ensue. And the idea is that you can actually start a huge, sometimes it is possible that a huge result may be set in motion by one choice or one action by one individual. Eris's thing is she doesn't get invited to this wedding on Mount Olympus to which every other deity gets invited and uh, she's angry we know we can know like all anger comes from pain so we should assume that she's hurt that she's the only deity excluded uh, and she's not invited because her name means strife or discord why would you want her to party at your party she's like a difficult woman like Lilith so I like to call those two the myths of difficult women <laughs> Because anyway, I have the privilege of telling people those two stories in a, in a healing way that helps them get over some of the stuff that people do to each other regarding uh, these archetypes. But but with Eris, she throws that golden apple in the middle of this reception between these three goddesses prized for their beauty that says, for the fairest, right, they go to Zeus, 
please, they're arguing, tell us who the fairest is. He's a politician, so his insecurity gets triggered because if he makes one friend by choosing one, he makes two enemies. So he, this whole thing, an event, you know, this whole story and the drama, it ends up with the uh, the Trojan War. The Trojan War? Yeah, the Trojan War. The largest armed conflict the world had seen. This lady didn't get invited to a party. She was hurt, and the Trojan War was the result. So um, here we have one guy, and I actually looked for an image. I looked in an article. I was looking for um, when this started, when he first did this, and it was the preseason, so it was like mid-August uh, of 2016, and. There's this picture of the field, and the players are standing on the sideline for the national anthem. And this caption says, you know, Kaepernick can almost be seen just in front of the sports drink table. <laughs> because he's kneeling at the back. He's not even making a big deal about it. He's just doing it. But again, he sets in motion this huge thing, this huge argument, this huge conversation that reveals a lot about, you know, these white ethno-nationalist people running on this mythology. So moon conjunct Eris, and no matter when he's born during this day, no matter what time of day, moon is conjunct Eris. So when he does what he needs, when he acts according to his conscience, when he emotes, when he expresses his emotions, he may trigger other people. He may, um, okay, so so anyway, so that, that's the idea here. Now this is opposing Mars in Libra, and these this whole con construct, this whole um, setup here, is a lot about justice and fairness and, you know, who gets to say yes and no. Uh, Mars and Libra can get very angry at injustice, and we already know he has, uh, excuse me, we already know he has uh, the South and the Libra, so he's got some um, experience, you know, in that way. Um, okay, so let's move on to um, the North Node of the Moon which is uh, what someone needs to learn but may not have been taught healthy models of how to do it. So you might do it based on what you think it's supposed to look like. But remember, it's 180 degrees away from your, your cache of conditioning in many lifetimes. Remember, the south node is what you've been told the world is like. The north node is the opposite. So he hasn't been taught how to fight or have healthy conflict. He hasn't been taught how to be assertive and stand up and do these things. Now his moon is there, so to be happy, just on the personality level, he has to figure it out. But it's also opposing Mars and Libra. He doesn't want to have to fight. That's why he's not out in the street screaming his head off till he's hoarse. He hasn't been taught how to fight, and he doesn't want to fight. He wants to tell the truth and wants people to be better to each other, and wants there to be more justice. I know as I, as I talk about this and all this stuff, like I don't know everything about his life. It might sound like I'm idealizing him or hero-worshipping him. I'm not really. I just am very impressed by the courage, which is another Aries keyword. So he might not in a bunch of lifetimes have been, because he knew that if he caved in, he could save his career. And he knew if he didn't cave in, if he didn't stick to the principle that he might have a problem in his career. So um, 
this moon with uh, Eris and Jupiter and Aries, he's got to do it, but he might at different times in his life, and this is what I don't know about his biography, but he might at different times in his life have gotten himself into trouble or had some misfiring regarding being assertive or saying yes or no or being loud and angry. He might have had some of those issues at different times in his life as he learned more about how to do it. But essentially in a bunch of lifetimes, he's not told to stand up and stand out and be counted. He's not told to be a leader. He's not told to stand up and make no, make the right kind of noise. Or even be independent and be willing to stand out from the crowd. That's an Aries thing, a first house Mars thing too. Because you feel in your gut, you feel in your body that you have to do something. So that's a North and an Aries. So this whole process, I think, has given him a chance, you know, from this karmic angle, gives him a chance to tell the truth and stick to his guns, to tell other people that they must look at this difficult thing that most people ignore because it's too terrible and they don't know how to deal with it. Like, if you watch any of these videos of these men being shot, it's going to break your heart. These are humans. These are people who are literally just like you and me. Maybe they have a different skin color. Maybe they uh, have a different accent, speak a different language, who knows. But they are people, and you feel that. You know that. And part of his job is to say, people, look. Look at this thing that's hard to look at. So anyway, it gives him an opportunity to tell the truth and stick to his guns and also develop the courage to stand for conviction, even if it costs him something. Now, ideally, he, and I, I don't know him, but I, you know, I don't know what he thinks, but ideally, he can have peace knowing that the truth is more important than a job. Even a job where one is famous and makes a shitload of money. Like ideally, that is, you know, the karma, which are beliefs, the karma can be, I shouldn't speak up because I'll lose everything, right? I, he doesn't seem to have that, or if he wrestled with it, he seems to have, you know, put it to bed. But the belief about what's happening and why, let's say he never works again in football. Well, you know, essentially being forgotten or blacklisted or something. Let's say that, just dropped and, and crossed, you know, crossed off the list. Let's say that. Well, he needs to make sure that he doesn't believe that that means the world is a crappy place or people are stupid. To make sure he doesn't believe something about it, but he can stick with that inner conviction and trust that he did what, what he had to do. That will be the healing path with all of this stuff here, to stick to the conviction. Now, I want to give you one last note about Lucifer. When you, because it's conjunct south node ruler, when you do your Lucifer, wherever it is in your chart, you're going to be told you're arrogant or selfish, self-centered, too big for your britches. I grew up in almost rural Ohio, so that was a phrase. Um, depending on where you grew up, it, you might be told you have hubris. <laughs> but um, the idea is that you think you're better than God. You think you're the best thing. But the, the healthy Lucifer process is to evaluate what is my motivation for doing this thing? Is it because 
I'm the best thing ever? Or is it because it's in my heart and it feels true? Or is true? So um, I perceive he's a healthy Lucifer figure from what I've learned so far. And that means he's gone through a process of adjusting what his ego is aligned with. Okay, great. I think that's my story for you today. Again, if you want to learn more about how I do this kind of astrology, check out the Soul's Journey Soundbite database. You can do a monthly or yearly subscription or even do a five-day trial. And um, yeah, there, there are almost 500. There's like 480-some uh, overviews of charts where I read from this karmic angle. And my students are, some of my students are members of it, and they're getting a ton out of it. They're hearing me explain, oh yeah, Uranus square the nodes, and they're hearing me explain it eight times in a row. Or what does it mean to have Mars conjunct Pluto? Or Mercury on the north node? Or whatever it is, or south node ruler square Saturn? You can look up all those things and learn about my unique approach that is basically based in this channeled model of soul and the, what the multi-life journey is all about. So you can check that and a bunch of other tools out at tdjacobs.com. And also my new site, healingsuicide.com, is about soul and its journey over many lifetimes and how a suicide affects it uh, with, an, with an, uh, an aim toward helping us heal the deep, painful emotions that can lead us to consider or attempt suicide. So again, tdjacobs.com and healingsuicide.com. Uh, take care. Oh, and also you can get your own Soul's Journey soundbite at tdjacobs.com where I'll do this overview for you in a 20-minute 20, 20 uh, overview. Okay, bye-bye.